You're going to want this. Ushers, if you guys can keep your hand up until they get you one, and they'll give you a piece. So it's going to be a big part of the launch of our new series tonight. So speaking of Scrabble, come on, we're, we'd like to give something away every week at the City Life Church. So who here does not have a Scrabble game? In your shame, you may raise your hand. Come on. All right, come on. All right, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to pick it out. The person whose birthday is the closest to today. It could be yesterday, tomorrow, two days from now. So somebody who's got a birthday that's dialed in really close, who doesn't have a game. Is it Sean? When's your birthday? Today is your actual birthday. Really? Oh, come on. Nice. Nice. I'm just assuming nobody else has a birthday today, right, to compete with that? Because we'll have to send somebody to Toys R Us before the end of the service. Nice. I like it. Happy birthday. I would sing to you, but then your birthday would not be happy. So they don't put this in my hand until after the singing's over. Amen. Who said that? So Nate. That was Nate. Nate Nawadi. I thought I recognized that voice. So when you think of the word radical, what comes to mind? When you think of the word radical, come on, we like participation at the City Life Church. What's something that comes to mind? It could be a word. It could be an idea. It could be a person. Clem. Terrorist, yeah. Yeah, radical could be a negative or the positive. Steve. Faith, yes. Amanda. Completely given to something. Yes, come on, somebody else. Let's see a hand go up in the youth section over here. Kim. Extreme. Going for it all. Somebody else. The word, when you hear the word radical, what's something that you think of? Crazy. Yes. Tyler. Nate Nowatney. Yes. Nice. Nice, Brad. All out. Come on. These are good. Somebody else. The uprising. Come on. Doesn't it look good up there? They did. It was so great in here last night. We had about, what, 230? Had about 230 people in attendance. It was about 242 with the fire department. Once they got here. So it turns out that a smoke machine really can set off the fire alarm in a building. But it's also a great way if you want to minister to your local fire department, you can do an event and they have to come. They can't, you can send them an invitation, but if you set the alarm off, they really will show up. So come on, one of those firemen at some point in their future is going to be standing up in a church giving a story. So when did you give your life to Christ? Well, it all started for me back at the Newport News in 2011. We got a call from the mosaic. All right, somebody else. Radical. Somebody else. One more. Over the top. That's nice. Over the top. This series that we are launching tonight, every week we're going to, to pick a word that for us at the City Life Church we feel represents what it means to be a radical, devoted, passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And tonight the way that we're going to spell the word radical is with V-O-W. Every single one of us is asked by God to make a radical vow of devotion to Jesus. And each week we're going to pick a different word, and each week it's going to tie in in some way to this book that we're getting ready to read together. Every fall we do a sermon series that ties in with our life group. So if, you're not, if you've not signed up for a life group, they're going to start this week. It's not too late. And this is the book that we're going to read together, Radical Together. And I'm telling you that you will not be the same after you're done reading this book. It will challenge you in your faith in Christ to new levels. And come on, we all want to keep growing in our journey and our walk with Jesus. 
many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And we find this response to Jesus so often in his life as we begin to read about the story of who he is in Scripture that oftentimes many people would run away from Christ because they would say, you're just too radical. Because they would say, your message is just too radical. Some of the teachings of Jesus are hard to understand because we have a difficult time comprehending them with the limitations of our humanity, but some of his teachings are too hard because we know exactly what he asks us to do. When he says to us, love your enemy, we don't walk away going, I'm not really sure what he means by that. We know exactly what he means, but we still walk away because we say, that's just too radical of a teaching for me. I can't do it. And what we find about Jesus is that when people had a response to him where they walked away because he was radical, he did not begin to dumb down his message. There was no moment in Jesus' life where he said, I just, you know, I'm going to just, I'm a little bit over the top. I'm going to start calling myself Jesus the mundane, right? Because this idea of the Christ, the anointed one, that's maybe just a little bit too much for people to grasp. I'm just going to be the mediocre Messiah because I want more people to embrace my message. That's not his response, is it? He never stopped laying down a message that caused people to say, I'm not sure I can be a part of of that, if anything, his message just got all the louder. And we're believing that tonight, through this series, that as you begin to come a little bit closer to the radical teachings and the radical message of Jesus Christ, that it's not going to cause you to be pushed away, that it's going to draw you in. Because you want a Savior and a Creator who is extravagant. If we want mundane and mediocrity, then we can have each other. Come on. But we don't want to be left to ourselves for eternity. We want a God who is grand and is beyond imagination, and that's exactly who Jesus is, and that's exactly what his message gives to us. And so here we find it, right here in Mark 8, 34 to 35. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. Let's stop there. The cross was the most brutal instrument of torture and death in the ancient world. And Jesus picks this. Why? Because he has a radical message. He wants people to understand that the message that he brings, the good news that he offers, it's going to require us to give all that we are in exchange for what he gives to us. If you try to hang on to your life, he says, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That word good news, in some Bibles you read it as translated the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And you know what we say to him? It better be good because you're asking a lot. And even in the limitations of our humanity, we understand what good news sounds like, don't we? I got an email just a couple of weeks ago from someone who attends here. We did that teaching on fasting, and so we hope that if you were here that you've begun to incorporate that pathway of fasting into your life. And so she went on a fast because we had been teaching about that because she had just recently felt that God had, had spoken to her about a job. 
the job was offered to her by the company, and she said no because there were some aspects of that job that wasn't especially appealing to her, and she bumped into the vice president of the company not too long after that, and the vice president said, hey, you broke my heart when you didn't accept that job offer. And this person said, well, let's get together and talk. So they sat down and they talked, and they, 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 they offered it to her again. So she had a list of things that she wanted, benefits, schedule, lots of things. And they said, we want you to take the job, but we can't give you those things that are on that list. And she felt like God spoke to her heart and said, I want you to take the job anyways, even though they're not giving you anything that you want, right? That's when we say, God, is that you really speaking to me or is that the devil, right? So she trusted the Lord and she did one of the nine fasts we talked about was an insight fast. So she did an insight fast that weekend. She accepted the job, did her fast that weekend, Monday morning, the first day of her job a couple of weeks ago, her boss walks into her office and says, that list that you gave us, we're going to give you everything that you asked for. Come on. That's good, isn't it? We know what good news sounds like when we hear it for us or when we hear it from, there's nobody in this room said, I'm not sure if that's really good news or not. Right? Everybody's going, come on, that's great. And I was in elementary school. I was riding on the bus. We're going on a field trip. Sherry Jeter was just a few seats in front of me. Yep. So I sent Sherry Jeter a note. Will you go with me? That was the word back when I was growing up. Right? Back in the days of the dinosaurs. Anybody grew up in an era where it was, will you go with me? You went with somebody, right? Your parents would always make the joke, where are you going, right? So I sent the note. There's always three boxes on a note like that. The first one is what? And that box is really what? Big. And then the next box is? And we make that one? It make, we make it hard for them to put any type of marking in that box. And then the third box is what? Which is really the same as which box? Yes, it is. It's the same as no. It is. We put that box on there so that when our buddies ask us what did she say, we can say, oh, she said maybe. She said maybe. But we all know. On the street, that means no. On the street, in elementary school, that's how we roll. So she has the note for an inordinate amount of time, which is not good. Yeah. Because if you're going to hold the note for a long time, you're not choosing between yes and no, you're choosing between no and maybe. You're making a decision about whether or not I'm going to just tell them like it is or whether or not I'm going to try to let them down easy. So eventually the note comes back, right? And of course, you know, there's a check in the, in the maybe box. That's not good. I know, come on, feel sorry for me. Come on, I'm looking for some pity. Even now, 40-some years later. Even with the limitations of our humanity, we understand what good news is and what it is not. And so when Jesus says, my message is good, when he says, I have a gospel, I have a good news. It creates a measure of anticipation in us because we have a benchmark that's dialed in to who we are and we want to measure what he says against what we believe is really good. And so we say to Jesus, come on, bring it. I want to hear what it is. So what is this good news that he offers? What is this message that in hearing and I am willing to make such a radical vow of devotion to him. Because part of what makes it radical is what he asks of us. It's what we just read in those verses. 
he says, will you give me your whole life? Will you set aside everything that you are and let me lead you fully and completely? Come on, that is a radical vow that he asks. All right, you ready? I'm going to give you the first, what I believe Jesus leads with every time he brings his message. Every time I believe that Jesus says, I've got good news, this is right at the front. Are you ready to hear what it is? Come on, because you know it's like a political leader when they're in a debate. There's a lot of those happening. They get a chance for an opening statement. They know they've got to bring it in that initial moment. It's the same with Jesus. He knows when someone's trying to, what is this message about? He leads with this because he wants you to know this is how good it's going to be. Are you ready? All right. You're going to die. I know. It's not what you were expecting. Anybody here expecting that to pop up on the screen? If you are, we're going to go get another Scrabble board. We're not going to play Scrabble with you because that would be scary because you would always win if you can anticipate all those words. Come on, you're going to die. But for Jesus, that's good news. Because when he says those words, it's different than we're used to hearing those words. Because when he says those words, he's saying to you and I, this life is not all that there is. When he says you're going to die, he wants us to know, do not over-identify with this existence because there's something more and it's far better than you could ever imagine. He says to the world, every person that encounters him, he says to us, you are an eternal being. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, none of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation. Ecclesiastes 8.8, that's out of the New Living Translation. All throughout the Bible, Jesus says to us in the New Testament, come on, God and the old, the Father, through the prophets and all the teachers and the historical figures that's recorded for us, they say to us the same thing. You do not want to stay here. You don't want to stay here. All the people throughout history that have tried to find the fountain, right, if they drink from that water, that they'll have a, biologically, they'll live forever. Jesus says, hey, not only does that, not, that fountain not exist, but you don't want to find it even if it did because this life is not what I have for you. From the beginning of time, God has set a divine plan into motion, and part of that plan for you and me is to begin here but move on to something else. And oftentimes, if you've found yourself stuck in a moment of grief, it's because you've lost sight of the promise of tomorrow. It's because you've lost sight of this great truth that is the beginning of Jesus' good news, that you were meant to die. I like to call this life awake in the womb. It's just the beginning of the existence that you were really born to have. You do not want to stay here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7 says that the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Your consciousness will never cease. There is a part of you, the Bible could not be more clear, that you are an eternal being. You're not like anything else in this creation. In the book of Genesis in the first chapter, 
Come on, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what do they say to each other? Let's make man in what? In our image. Let's put within them eternity. Nothing else of this world is going to continue on forever except the people who are in it. The favorite place that you love to go for vacation, we love to vacation in the Outer Banks. I propose to Vanessa there. Come on, we're going to celebrate 15 years in May every time we go back to the Outer Banks. Every time. Even though that gazebo I proposed to her on was washed out by some hurricane years ago. That's okay, though. That's like there's, there's no going back, right? It's like the explorer that burned the ships when they got to the shore. There's no going back. We're in this thing forever. It just keeps getting better every year. Come on, take notes, guys. See, that's how you get points. Just as a side note, guys, if you're new in your relationship, your points clock, it restarts every day. You need to know that if you're new in your marriage. For us and our world, it accrues, right? We carry a balance. It's all about debits and credits. But we think that it, you do not have a balance with your wife. Every day that you wake up, bam, goose egg. I don't care how good your points are throughout the day, it starts over at zero tomorrow. All right, isn't that right? Am I right? All right, come on. That's not part of the good news of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are eternal, and you don't want to stay here. Mark 12, 18 through 27. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to read in this one a little bit. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. So some Sadducees, they were of a religious order in Jesus' day, who say there is no resurrection. They didn't believe that we were eternal. Came to him and questioned him, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. And that's assuming in the Mosaic Law the brother had to be unmarried. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying left no offspring. The second also took her and he died leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. Here, we, here listen to this. The seven also left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. Of course she did. She was married to the same guys from the same family. Come on, that was a joke. This is in the resurrection when they rise. Whose wife will she be? since the seven had married her. And Jesus told them, have you ever seen the show Sister Wives? No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. <laughs> but he could have, because what he would have said is, hey, it doesn't work here, and it's not going to work in heaven either. Jesus told them, are you not deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven now concerning the dead being raised listen to what he says haven't you read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the God of the dead but of the living and you are badly deceived he's telling us a couple of things there one is don't be confused you are not meant to stay here and if you begin to try to imagine what waits for you by ascribing your earthly existence to your eternal existence, you're going to be confused forever because heaven and this existence are not the same. 
And even if God could come and speak everything, if he had enough time in eternity, in this temporal world, to come and reveal to you everything that heaven has to offer you, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, we would not even begin to understand the magnificence of what awaits us. His message to us is clear. You're eternal, and you do not want to stay in this place. Listen to this. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 11. This is a paraphrase that I wrote. If you took a 70-year-old person's life story, traveled back in time, tried to tell that person on the day that they are born in their infancy, they could not possibly understand. Come on, they don't even realize their hand belongs to them, right? They're just continually hitting themselves, and they're going, who's doing that? Who's doing that? They don't even know it's themselves. It's wonderful, isn't it? Babies are hilarious. So can you imagine traveling back in time? Maybe you've walked with this person their whole life, childhood friends. You know their whole life story. Can you imagine traveling back in time and going to that person in their infancy, in the hospital, holding them and trying to tell them everything that their life is going to be about? They know nothing of what you're saying. They do not have the capacity to comprehend. And Paul here in this incredible chapter, there's so much to this chapter that's wonderful, but this is part of it. It's often overlooked because it's also the great love chapter, right? He says, if you take a child and compare it to who they are or going to be as an adult, the change that takes place, how do you even measure that much change? It's absolutely profound. He says to you and I, that's just a glimpse of the change that you and I are going to experience when we move from this life to the next. If I brought Derek, is Derek in here? Or is he helping out? There he is. Come on. Raise your hand, Derek. He's my oldest son. If I brought him up here and stood him next to me, you could get a glimpse of what I looked like right when I was that age. After hearing the sermon and he's looking at me and he knows that this is what's waiting for him, he's thinking, I'm glad I'm not supposed to belong here, right? Get a glimpse of who you are now and what waits for you in eternity. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you cannot even begin to comprehend the wonder and the magnificence of the transformation that awaits you. You do not want to hold on to this because God wants to give you something that's unimaginably better. You don't want to stay here. Number two, this is the second part of his great message. You are not yet fully born. Some of you are, but some of you aren't. Some of you, you walked in here tonight, and all of who you are has not yet come alive. Every one of us has a day that represents our birth. That's why we're here. But there's another day at some point in our life that represents a second birth. Every single one of us is going to die, but not all of us here tonight has yet to be fully born. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip over there. If you're still in Mark, you can just take a right turn in your Bible, and you're going to get there. You can stop at the third chapter, and beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees, this was the other religious order, there were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher 
for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I assure you. Now, this is an important statement, this idea, I assure you, because in some Bibles it says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Or maybe in your Bible it says, truly, truly. And that traces its origins back to a name of God in the Old Testament. One of God's names is the great Amon El, which means he's the faithful God. And so when Jesus says here, Amon, Amon, in the, in the, in the Aramaic, it's a transliteration because the word doesn't exactly translate from Hebrew to Aramaic. He says, Amon, Amon. He's saying, the same trust that you put in God, you can trust me because I'm him. When he starts with these words 2,000 years ago to these people, Jesus is making a declaration of his divinity. And interestingly enough, that's the word that gives us amen. We say amen after we pray, not to let people know that we're finished and they can start eating. Come on. We say amen when we're done praying because it means aman. It means that we say at the end of our prayer, God, I believe that you are the great aman el, and I trust these needs to you because you are divine and I am not. Come on. Amen. I assure you, aman, aman, he says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water, that's your physical birth, and of the spirit, that's your spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Some of you here tonight, you're not yet fully born. You have a physical life, but your God life has yet to take its first spiritual breath. And that's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel message as it keeps moving forward in Jesus' teachings. And we find him here laying it out for Nicodemus. He wants Nicodemus to understand that he was not meant to remain in this world, that one day he's going to die. But before he dies, there is something that is supposed to happen to him, something that's happened to me, something that's happened to many of you, but something that maybe hasn't happened to all of you, that your God life has taken its first spiritual breath. Listen in John 14, verses 15 to 17. Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he's talking about your God life, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be where? In you. There's the Father, there's the Son, and then there's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God wants to live inside of you. I remember reading those verses when I was 23 years old for the very first time. In the same chapter, in John 14, there's a moment where Jesus says, And at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. And this light just went off deep in my heart. God wants to live inside of me. I do not want to stay in this world. And before I go, I wanted that life to come alive in my heart. Listen to this. This is in John 3, 7 through 8. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's he teaching Nicodemus here? He's teaching Nicodemus that when it comes to biblical truth, when it comes to eternal principles, when it comes to, to, to teachings of the Bible, that we understand them first with our heart before we can comprehend them with our minds. Oftentimes in life, if we follow our emotions, we can get into trouble. But when it comes to our relationship with God, I'm telling you, the Bible uses the word faith to help us to understand this. Oftentimes we have to follow our heart first, and our understanding has to play catch up. And he's trying to help Nicodemus understand this because he knows that Nicodemus is sitting there listening to all these things. Maybe like you're listening to me share some of these things, and you're thinking to yourself, I cannot, I'm having a hard time comprehending what you're talking about. But Fred, deep inside of my heart, the words that you're saying, I feel their truth, and I want everything that Jesus has to offer me. And so he draws this analogy in ancient times. They did not understand the science of the earth. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you don't understand the science of the universe and the earth. You don't understand how the wind operates and how weather works. And our weathermen haven't progressed so much in 2,000 years, but they're working on it. Come on. But back then, they knew nothing of the science of the earth. But yet, intuitively, they knew there was a truth to the natural world. And Jesus is saying, you've got to apply that same principle to your spiritual life. Something in your heart that you know to be true, it's called faith. Run after it and trust that God's going to bring intellectual understanding along the way. This is in Mark 8, 36 through 37. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's a word that the Bible uses to talk about the eternal part of who you are. It's a word that the Bible uses to talk about the part of you that from the moment of your conception an eternal being was created. That's the part of you that's going to exist forever. And here Jesus says to us, I want you to understand the importance of your God life being born in this life before you breathe your last. He wants us to understand that, that the eternal part of who we are is lost in eternity if the part of us that's supposed to be born of God doesn't come in this existence. You with me? And so he says, let me give you a measure to understand what's at stake here. This eternal part of who you are that was created at the moment of your conception, Jesus says, in order for that part of who you are to live with God forever in heaven for all eternity, as opposed to be eternally lost, you have what's called, the Bible calls, eternal life. Jesus says the only way that we can possess eternal life is if our God life is born in this world before we breathe our last. And he says, let me give you a comparative value. So this is what he says. You take all the riches and all the wealth and all the power and all the prestige, everything that this world values, and you put it in a pile. I'm not talking about just what's in your family or in your neighborhood or in your city. He says if you gained the whole world, all of it in a big pile, and you put your eternal self next to it, Jesus says None of that begins to compare to the value of who you are as a person. We use comparative valuing all the time as parents, don't we? Dad, when are we going to get there? 
our daughter, she doesn't necessarily always understand two hours, so this is what I say. I say we're going to be there in four episodes of Olivia, right? Anybody watch Olivia, the cartoon with the pigs? And then just to freak her out a little bit, if we're going to a restaurant, I say, and at the restaurant they serve barbecue, so we're really going to be eating Olivia when we get there, but don't think about that, right? I don't really say that. I'm just kidding, Brooke. I don't, I don't. I think it, but I have some self-control. It's a little bit, but not a lot. We use comparative values all the time in the workplace. We're always drawing comparisons to help people understand what this compares to this. And God says the eternal part of who you are is so valuable that nothing of this world and all of its riches and wealth can compare. And he says to you, come on. Don't let that part of who you are, the part that's going to live forever, be lost forever. Embrace the God life that Jesus wants to create in you. This is the last part of his message, the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that you're going to die. And that before you die, something can be born inside of you. You might be here tonight and you're saying, you know, Fred, I, I've got, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm fully born. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at myself and, right, I know I've got some flaws. Every time I step on the scale, it might not be the number that I'm hoping for. But you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm fully born. I've got this body. You might be saying tonight, I've, you know, I have emotions, I have feelings, I have desires and hopes and dreams. You might say, I've got a mind, I, I have an intellect. Sometimes it's working better than others, but I've got one. I make decisions, I'm rational the majority of the time. I think I'm fully born. You're fully physically born, but all of those parts of who you are, which I would say are the lesser parts of who you are, God gave to you for one reason and one reason alone, so this second birth could happen. He gave you this life so this other life could come because this life determines what your eternity is going to look like. And Jesus steps up into the world 2,000 years ago and makes the most radical claim of his entire message, and he says, I'm the only one that can give it to you. Part of what makes Jesus' message radical is that it's exclusive. He says, I am the only one. You are desperate for me. You do not want to stay here. You're not yet fully born. And the life that you need to possess, I can give it to you and nobody else. Listen to this verse. I'm going to skip that. I already talked about myself a little bit there. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It's speaking of Jesus. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life, come on, this is important because it's comparing two lives. The word gave life, that's physical life, to everything that was created. And then it says, and his life brought light to everyone. He has a life that was entrusted to him by the Father that he wants to impart to each of us. John 1, 11 through 13, we move on in that chapter. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Why? Because he was just a little bit too radical. But to all who believed him and accepted him, we're going to talk in a few minutes about what that means, he gave the right 
to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. It's powerful, isn't it? There is a God life that Jesus wants to create in you, a God life that he created in me when I was 23 years old. Every person in this world is a part of God's creation, but not everybody is a part of his family. The only way that we move from being in creation into his family is if we receive from Christ what he wants to freely give to you. And what he freely gives is something that you're desperate to have before you move on to what waits for you in the next life. Listen to what Jesus says here, John 17, 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I believe this is the most important verse in the Bible that speaks to why Jesus is the only one who can give you the God life that you desperately need to have. It's because he's the only person that ever walked on this planet who started out in heaven before he got here. You take a list of every religious leader throughout the history of the world, and they started this life the same way that you and I did. At the moment of conception was the very beginning of their eternal being. Every religious leader, no matter how great, no matter how convincing their teaching is, no matter what kind of miracles that they worked, that's recorded in history for us, they're all people just like you and me, and that's what sets Jesus apart is his preexistence. He came from heaven before he came to earth. And if I'm going to follow somebody somewhere, I want to know that they've been to where they're going. You with me? Tim says, come on, Fred. Make a road trip to Baltimore. We can catch a game up there. You know what the first thing I'm going to ask Tim is? Tim, have you been to Baltimore? Right? you got a GPS now and all those things, but before that kind of technology existed, if you're going to get directions from someone, if you're going to follow someone somewhere, you want to know that they know how to get to where they're going. It always comes down to one thing. Have you been there before? There is not a person who has ever had breath on this earth other than Jesus who can say to you and I, I know how to get there, but come on, because that's my home. I know how to get there because that's where I've been. In fact, I've been there before the world began. And not only that, but everything that you know in this existence, I created all of that and I created you. And I'm the only one who has the power to give birth to the God life that Nicodemus was hungry and thirsty for 2,000 years ago that some of you here tonight, that even now your heart's pounding out of your chest because you're saying, I want that life to be born in me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Come on at the City Life Church. We spell radical, V-O-W, a radical vow. It's a radical message that Jesus gives, and a radical message calls for a radical response. And the radical vow that Jesus asks us to make, the vow that many of you have made, the vow that I made when I was 23 years old, there's three parts to a vow to Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that we say, it's a promise that we make, and it's a pursuit that we begin. And each one of those things are related to a very special part of Jesus' life. This prayer that we pray is related to his death, 
The promise that we make is born out of his resurrection, and the pursuit we begin is because he's promised that he's coming back. You tracking with me? It's a prayer that we pray because we say, God, forgive me. Because every single one of us in this room, in our humanity, we have made mistakes. We have done things that we know that we should not have done, and we've not done things that we know that we should, and that's the Bible uses the word sin to talk about that. So you know what he did? He said, I need people. I need that which I've created to be able to become my children. I want them to become a part of my family. But they deserve a punishment. They don't deserve what I've given to them. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that for you. So he came and he died on a cross to pay the debt that we owed. It's why a vow of devotion always begins with a prayer. A prayer that says, God, forgive me. Forgive me for everything that I've done and not done. Forgive me for holding you at arm's length. Forgive me for turning my back on you. Forgive me, God. I do not deserve the life that you want to pour out upon me. It's a prayer that I prayed at 23. It's a prayer that many of you have prayed at different parts in your life. For some of you, it's a prayer that you need to pray tonight. That you have never stood before the creator of the universe and said you're sorry. And I know that's a risky thing because sometimes we say sorry to people in this world and we don't know what the answer is going to be, but it's never that way with God. The answer that he gives to you is, come on, he says, I've already forgotten those things. You come. You come, he says. We say a prayer and then we make a promise. It's born out of his resurrection because Jesus raised himself from the dead. Somebody who demonstrates that kind of power, somebody who was able to say the things that Jesus said and was able to back it up with everything that he did. See, it's risky with people again, isn't it? Because sometimes people overpromise, sometimes people overcommit, but that's impossible for Jesus. He cannot overcommit because his power knows no bounds. So he raised himself from the dead to demonstrate for us, I can do everything that I'm telling you I can do. I can do it. It's amazing, isn't it? That God and his divinity and his sovereignty would choose to humble himself to prove himself to you and I. He could have just said, you're going to do it because I said so. Not that his parents, we would ever say that. Come on, he said, you know what? I want to show them that they can trust me. So this promise that we make is a promise where we say, Jesus, I'm going to let you lead me in a way that I've never let anybody lead me before. I want you to be the boss of my life. I want to submit myself to you in a way that maybe I have never to anybody else, ever, where I'm going to say, Jesus, when you say something to me, my answer to you will always be yes, Lord, even if I don't understand it. It means that we're all in. The Bible uses words like surrender. It's part of what makes this message radical, isn't it? He says to you and I, you've got to give me all that you are. It's where we started tonight. It's why we're coming back to it right now. It's a promise that we make. When I was 23, I was riding in a 1984 Honda Prelude down Laburnum Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. 
And I said, I don't understand everything that this means, but Jesus, I believe that you're the son of the living God, that you died for my sins. Forgive me for everything that I've done, and I give my life to you for the first time in my life. I gave all of who I am to him. And then it's a pursuit that we begin. We walk away from that moment. You see, a vow of devotion has a very distinct moment in time that never ends. A vow of devotion to Jesus Christ has a very distinct moment in time that never stops. We begin the pursuit and the adventure of a lifetime. That God created you for a divine purpose. That he's put giftings and talents in you that he wants to unleash in this world. There's work that you're supposed to do. There's people that you're supposed to encourage. There's lives that you're supposed to change. Not because of who you are, because you can never do that in your humanity, but because of the God life that's going to be born inside of you. And so we begin a pursuit. We begin to run after this life that God has created us to live. We stand in the midst of his creation and say, I am not supposed to be here. But while I'm here, I'm going to stand in a place of humbling myself and asking forgiveness from the God who created me. And I'm going to make a promise to his son, Jesus Christ, a vow of devotion that says, I'm going to give you all that I am. And in that moment, something supernatural takes place. He puts his spirit inside of you. God comes alive. Your God life is born and you take your first spiritual breath. Do you think that it's an accident that the moment a child is born, the very first thing they do is they take a breath? You think that that's just science kind of having its way with humanity? Come on. That's God putting a marker in this world saying, just as you see that, something just like that is supposed to happen to you at some other point. Taking your first spiritual breath and the only way that that God life can be created in you is if Jesus puts it there. And the only way that Jesus is going to put it there is if you step into a moment where you make a vow to him. It's a prayer that you say. It's a promise that you make. It's a pursuit that you begin. I want you to stand with me and we sing the song together. Because this is how I want us to close the service. I'm going to ask you to hold on to this. We're going to take this series all the way up until the beginning of Thanksgiving, I'm going to ask you to hold If you lose it, come on. You go to the store, you buy a game, you tell us, you get another one. I want you to keep this with you. Put it in your pocket, put it by your bedstand. Because every time you pick this up, you know what? It's going to ask you a question. Have you made that vow? Every time you pick it up, it's going to ask you the question, how do you spell radical? V-O-W. So this is how we're going to close this service tonight. You're holding this in your hand. While we're singing this song, I'm going to ask you to do something that's radical. That if you look into yourself, come on, deep inside of who you are, the eternal part of who you are, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is my God life there? Is there a moment in time that you can look back to and you can say, on that day, I made a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ. If you look into the story of your life and you can't find that moment, come on, then God wants this night to be that moment 
for you, he wants to give you another birthday, the birthday of your rebirth, the birth that really matters, the birth that's going to continue forever and ever and ever. As we sing this song, if that's you, if you're saying, Jesus, I want you to give birth to that life inside of me. If you're not sure, then come on, then you come. As we sing this song, you come and stand here. Nobody's going to come and talk to you. Nobody's going to come bother you. It's just you and Jesus standing together. It's a radical call, but come on, it's a radical message, and you want everything that he has for you. You come and you stand, and you see what he might do in you.